Our passage today is 1 John 3, verses 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of God. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your goodness and kindness to us your love towards us that we see so clearly in the person of Jesus Christ through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection. And we um, are thankful, God, that you uh, reign and rule over us, that we live in your good kingdom, um, awaiting your glorious return. And um, just thankful that we, can, um, that we can sing praises to you that are true, that you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And God, I pray that uh, as we open your word this morning, uh, God, I'm a, I'm a beggar in need of grace. I pray, God, that you would um, empower me by your spirit to be um, bold with your word, to, um, to stand in front of the truth or behind the truth and not get in the way of the truth. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you would... Um, that you do work in our hearts today, God, that wherever, however we enter today, God, whatever um, lies that maybe we're believing, whatever doubts that we have, um, God, whatever uh, areas that we need shored up, God, I pray that you would just um, minister to our hearts, that we would leave here um, desiring to, um, to walk in righteousness, um, walk in the way that you already see us. God, may you be honored and glorified this morning. May we be edified, and we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. Good morning. We are in uh, 1 John. Is Continuing in 1 John is uh, Lori read chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 4 through 10. And if you're new with us here today, this is, just, this is our pattern. At Windsor Community Church, we typically pick a book, um, uh, sometimes Old Testament, sometimes New Testament, and we just march our way through it. So if you're here today going, wow, why did they pick these verses? Um, it's because this is just where we, we happen to be. Um, so we've titled the sermon today, Living as God's Beloved Children. Living as God's Beloved Children. Is there anybody in here that plays golf? There's a few of you. Is there anybody in here who is a golfer? There's a difference. Golfer and golf. Good. I don't want to ever play with you. I enjoy golf, uh, but I wouldn't say that I'm a golfer. I golf um, four to five times a year. And I shoot about the same year in and year out um, without a whole lot of improvement. I'm always guessing which club to use. I could play five times in a row. I could be 120 yards out from the green, and every time I'm going, like, which club do I use? 
I just don't play enough to even know which type of club to use. Sometimes I have a duck hook, other times I have a slice that goes into picture windows of houses on the golf course. Sometimes I hit it right down the middle, but I have no idea what I did when that happens. So I can't repeat it. I do know this. I think I'm enough of an athlete that if I just practiced a little bit, just a little bit, I could maybe shave a stroke or two off my game. Maybe, maybe not be a scratch golfer, but maybe shoot in the low hundreds. Maybe high 80s, I don't know. Maybe if I took a lesson or two, someone could help me with the bad habits that I've developed over the years, and that I could save a lot of frustration in my four to five games per year and play a little bit better. You're going, well, well, great story, Dan. What's this have to do with 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10? It has everything to do with it. Christian life works this way as well. We have certain patterns of sin in our life that we've developed um, over a lifetime that lead to frustration and disappointment and ultimate unhappiness. Oftentimes we're just stuck in these sins, asking God to deliver us from these sins. We recognize them, but we don't know what to do beyond that. We don't know how to get unstuck. The difference between Dan the golfer and Dan the child of God is that I may never be a good golfer, but I'm already considered righteous or holy or pure as a result of my union with Christ. And that's the same with you, that you are righteous, you are holy, you are pure because of your union with Christ. The lifelong journey for a child of God is to live and think and act like the person we already are. Everyone wants to be forgiven of their sins, but very few people want to live a life of holiness or righteousness or purity. This book that we're reading in PLI is called Union with Christ. It's by Rankin Wilborn. And he says that holiness, or righteousness, if you will, is the big broccoli in the sky. We're told to eat broccoli. We're told that broccoli is good for us. In the same way, holiness or righteous, righteousness is like broccoli for many of, us, many of us. We know we're supposed to want it, but we don't really want it. We don't really like it. We may, we may not even think that the good news We may not even think that we need to pursue holiness. Luther and Calvin had a different viewpoint on holiness or righteousness. They both emphasized the necessity of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. But they also made it clear that faith never existed alone in the life of the believer. They said we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. When you think of the call to be holy or righteous or pure. How do you respond? You may come from a background like mine where I come from a highly legalistic background. And when I first understood grace, I didn't really have a proper understanding of grace because I thought what it meant is that I was not only free from the guilt and shame of sin, but I was also free from having to obey God's commands. Do you desire to live a righteous life? 
Are there patterns in your life that are preventing you from experiencing the most intimate and joyful fellowship possible with the one who created you for fellowship? You see, sin, in the absence of righteousness or holiness, is a recipe for unhappiness. The world would say, just go do it your way. Live any way you want. That's where happiness is found. But what God says is that true, lasting joy, or happiness, if you will, is found in obedience or righteousness or living a life of holiness. I pray that you would be reminded this morning that you are God's beloved child, and that as such, there is a new direction in your life. The direction is called progressive sanctification. It's a process of becoming more like Jesus. It's a new direction towards perfection. We talk about that a lot. He will complete the work that He begun in you as His child. He'll finish that work. But at the same time, as 1 Peter 1.5 says, is that we were to make every effort, that there's somehow we cooperate with the Spirit in our sanctification. It's inside this spirit-empowered effort or practice, as John calls it today, that we'll find complete joy in our fellowship with the Father. Just as a reminder, John wrote this letter so that God's true children, you and I, would have joyful confidence or joyful assurance that we're headed in the right direction. Last Sunday, Jason encouraged us to think through the present realities and the future promises that God has given Christians um, that we saw in uh, chapter 2, verse 28, through chapter 3, verse 3. And then he encouraged us in our community groups to actually explore these present realities and these future promises. And some of the present realities that um, our community group saw last week is that the reality is that we are children of God. Two times it was mentioned that you, if, you've, if you have been saved by faith, by grace, through faith, you are a child of God. As such, we have a relationship with and are loved by the Father. That's a present reality. Today, you have a relationship with Him today, and you are loved by the Father today. It doesn't matter what you did this morning. And we have hope in Him today. We have hope for tomorrow, today. Some future promises from this section, He will come again. And when he comes again, we will see him fully like he is in all of his glorious perfection. And we will be like him, sinless, never tasting suffering or death again. We'll be able to stand before him in confidence with no shame and have a seat at his table. We will enjoy everything he enjoys. We will enjoy perfect and uninterrupted fellowship with him and all the saints. To summarize those verses of his present realities and his future promises, you're reminded that you are a child of God and you have a glorious future or destiny awaiting you. These truths of our present reality and our future promises are said to be the indicatives of Scripture or the indicatives of, of the gospel. These are the truths of who God is and who we are in Christ. 
And anytime we, are, we hear or are reminded of these mind-blowing truths or indicatives, we should ask the question, so what, now what? So what, now what? I'm your child. I have fellowship with you now. You will come again one day. So how should we live today? What are the imperatives? How should I live as God's beloved child? And he started to give us an answer in verse 3, chapter 3. John gives us an initial imperative that flows out of these glorious declarations um, or um, indicatives. He says this, In everyone who thus hopes in him, in other words, in everyone who puts their trust in him, in everyone who um, hopes that he will return again, believes that he will return again, purifies himself as he is pure, makes himself holy as God is holy. This is the pursuit of the Christian between salvation and Jesus returning. This is our call to live in holiness, to live in righteousness, to live pure lives. John is writing to those in the first century who were like you and me, who have professed faith in the risen Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, but who are being deceived that they can believe in a perfect, holy, and loving God while at the same time choosing to live any way they want. This entire letter was written to combat those lies. Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin means to miss the mark. In chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, um, we know John told us that we are sinners, that we will sin. Is there anybody in here that has not sinned in the last 24 hours? And if you raise your hand, that's a sin because you just lied. John tells us that we will sin, and John tells us in verse 10 that we have a sin nature. So just because um, we have been, re- um, been saved from the um, guilt and shame of sin and the penalty of sin, and we'll see in a minute we've been saved from the power of sin, doesn't mean that we won't sin. So let's just agree that we will sin, but we're not to make a practice of sinning. John calls sin lawlessness here. It's doing what is right. It's it's not doing what is right in accordance with God's commands for his children. See, sin is sin whether you recognize it's sin or not. Um, Lawlessness is breaking the law whether you realize there's a law or not. If I'm driving down the road in a 20-mile-an-hour zone going 30, and I get pulled over, and I say, Ossifer, um, I didn't realize I was going 10 over. I didn't see the sign. I'm being honest. I still broke the law, did I not? So sin is sin whether um, whether we recognize that we broke the law or not. But here's the point of this passage today. John is not concerned with sin. Per se. He's concerned with the practice of sin. Practice or practices is the dominant word in this section. It's used five times in these verses, 4 through 10. 
To practice means a frequent repetition that produces a behavior pattern. A frequent repetition that produces a behavior pattern. And we're going to further define this term as we study through this passage here today. The practice of sinning is not compatible with the one whose sins have been taken away and whose life is united with Christ's sinless life. You see, when we, when we see somebody walk away from the faith, um, what's the guy that wrote, I kiss, Dan goodbye? Joshua Harris. Um, when you see a guy like that, 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 um, that stood solid on God's word in the faith for years, and now he's walked away, um, you got, you got to assume that he's no longer in the faith. Um, now, now uh, time will tell. But he is no longer uh, practicing. In fact, he is um, actually denying righteousness and choosing to live in the world. So John reminds us in verse 5 of these twin truths. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there's no sin. John reminds Christians of what we all know so well, that Jesus came to take away our sins, to cancel the record of debt that stood, stood before us. He nailed it to the cross, he says in Colossians 2.14. There is no longer a record of sin against you and me. It's been canceled. He appeared in order to take away sins. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins was an acceptable um, sacrifice to a holy God because he, Jesus, without, was without sin. And in him, there is no sin. John the Baptist introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God who what? Takes away our sin. But the phrase, in him is no sin, has implications for you and I today and every day. You see, we are in him. If you, if you start doing a study through the Bible and you look at all the times that it says that we are in Christ, that we are in Him, this has implications for us. We are in Him. We are united with Him. What is His is ours. His sinless perfection was credited or imputed to us because by faith we are in Him. We've been clothed in His righteousness. We, he he was our sin, and He gave us His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to, who knew no sin to become our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is who we are. And this is how we are to live. We are no longer called guilty sinner. We have a new name, and it's righteous child. He appeared to take away our sins in order to secure our standing as his children and to give us a new name and a new destiny. And this new destiny is one day we will be perfected, but in the meantime, we're to choose righteousness. In verses 6 through 10, John wants his children, you and I, to know how to live. He wants us to know who our adverse adversary is. And he wants us to know where our power comes from to live this life. And I want you to notice, as I read verses 6 through 10, I want you to notice the word practice and the phrase keeps on. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. 
Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The key word here is practice. The key word is, or phrase is keep on or keeps on. These verbs are both present and continuous. In other words, they describe one's character and prevailing acts rather than a particular act. They describe one's direction in life. They describe patterns of either sin or righteousness in our life. The child of God will practice righteousness. And at times, it's not a straight line up. I know it's not in my life. Like if you were to um, chart me over, a, like a, you can chart a stock over like uh, five hours, or you can chart a stock over like 10 years. Um, if you look at any five-hour um, chart of my life, you might like see it like trending down. But if you look at my life over uh, 10 years, hopefully what you'll see is a man who is sinning less. That there's a trajectory in my life, and there's a trajectory in every believer's life. So a child of God will practice righteousness. Those who by faith are united to the life of Christ will progressively live like he lived. This is what verse 6 is saying. If we abide or if we are in him, we won't practice or keep on sinning. And I want to just pause here just for a minute. We know we all sin. We know that we have a sin nature. What John is distinguishing between is a sin and the practice of sin. The practice of sin tramples upon God's grace. The practice of sin says, oh well, nobody's perfect. And says, grace covers that and just moves on without any repentance. Many of us misunderstand grace. Some think that grace becomes a license to sin even more. The church is headed down this path in a quick way, where the church is choosing to uh, cross out um, some aspects of God's word um, that aren't culturally appropriate. That God is a God of grace. That is true. It's yes and amen. But his grace is not a license to sin or to discount anything in his word. This has been a problem for 2,000 years. The Apostle Paul encountered this same problem during his ministry, and he anticipated those objections in Romans 6, where he asked rhetorically, what shall we say then? After the believers understood that they were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, he asked, what shall we say to that? How shall we respond to that? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound more and more? He says, may it never be. By no means, he says. Grace is not a license to continue in sin. Listen to Romans 5, 19 through 21. For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam, that's where our sin nature comes from, 
the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many who believed, will be made righteous. Grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, um, grace is lived out through righteous living. So John in verse 7, chapter 3, says this, Do not be deceived. You who practice righteousness are righteous. Whoever is disposed towards righteousness, whoever has definitive patterns of living in submission to God's commands, is living out who they are and how God sees them as righteous. Righteousness, if you know Jesus, righteousness is who you are. And righteous is who we are meant to be. Righteousness is living out who we already are. Those who are righteous in Christ practice righteousness. It doesn't mean we're not going to sin, but there's a practice. There's a trajectory. There's a desire of wanting to please and honor and glorify the Lord with our deeds and our thoughts and our actions. Then in verse 9, we're told that no one born of God and saved by His grace makes a practice of sinning because God's seed abides in Him and He cannot continue to sin, sin because He has been born of, born of God. It's impossible it's impossible to practice and continue in patterns of sin when you have a new nature and God's seed lives and abides in you. Not only, do you, not only are you in Him, believer, but He is in you. You've been born of God. You've been born again. You have His DNA. The old DNA that practiced sin is gone. Do you ever find yourself um, just doing things that you hated to do when your parent, that your parents did, like the same things? I do. I mean, there's some things that my parents did really well. They go, well, thank you, Lord, for giving me that DNA. Well, all of God's goodness we have uh, coursing through our veins, that we have his DNA. The old DNA that practiced sin is gone, and the new DNA that wants to practice righteousness has come. He started a work in you. And he will accomplish it. Rankin Wilborn, the same guy that wrote Union with Christ, stated that Christ is not only our anchor, he's not only our anchor of our righteousness, he's not the, he not only keeps us um, um, united with Christ, he's the engine for our righteousness. Not only are you anchored in by him taking your sin, you have a new engine to propel you towards righteousness. This last song that we sang said that, um, that, that we've been, um, what did it say? You've been anchored in and he's given us strength, something like that. Um, I wrote it here, but I can't read my writing. So in verse 9, if you are truly born of God, you are a child of God. You have God's seed in you. His Spirit. And His Spirit secures you in Christ's righteousness. It's a promise that you'll make it all the way home. It's a promise that you are His child. And His Spirit also empowers you to live a life of righteousness. It's an anchor. He's an anchor and He's an engine. 
It's God's seed in you. You are truly a partaker in his divine nature. And if you are a partaker in his divine nature, it will affect your life in a profound sense. One day it will end in perfection. But today it's about spirit-empowered direction. Be encouraged by that. John writes these words to believers, to children of God. He wants you to have assurance um, this isn't written necessarily for every time that every time um, you blow it to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. He's saying that, that you need to have practices of righteousness, and the more that you practice righteousness by the power of the Spirit out of your, the identity that you already have, it's going to create the most joyful fellowship with the Father that you've ever had. That's his goal here, is that you would have blessed assurance. And we can't have blessed assurance when we're practicing sin and not practicing righteousness. I want you to think about seeds just for a minute, that God's seed is in you. You've been born again. God's spirit is in you. When you think about seeds, um, it's the realm of all nature. It's the realm of all creation. It's the method of life and growth in every realm, human life, animal life, plant life. Every one of these seeds, when they're planted, they have some initial growth, but what they all have in common is they die. But when you have God's Spirit in you, you will never die. He will bring you all the way home. It produces a life in you that will never perish. With that said, I want to talk about sin. I want to talk about sin. What we know about sin is that sin begets sin. When we have unrepentant sin in our life, when we let the little sins come in, when sin is crouching at our door and we open the door to it, it leads to more sin. The more we practice righteousness, the more sanctified we become or the more we look like Christ. John Owen, the great Puritan, said these words in Puritan form. Repeated acts of the consent of the will unto sin may beget a disposition and an inclinableness of the will unto a proneness and a readiness to consent unto sin upon easy solicitation. And then he says this, every lust is a depraved habit or disposition continually inclining our hearts to do evil. Jerry Bridges said this, every time we sinned, every time we lusted, every time we coveted or hated or cheated or lied, we were developing habits of ever-increasing wickedness. You will sin. And that's why the Apostle Paul tells us to kill sin, to mortify sin, because sin feeds upon itself. And the next thing you know is that, quote, the small sin leads to bigger sins. And the next thing you know that the enemy's taken a foothold and you're practicing sin and no longer practicing righteousness. And inside of that, you will not have blessed assurance. So what do we need to do? 
We need to practice daily putting off our old self. That when the enemy lies to you, um, you, can, um, you can see it in God's word, uh, the spirit testifies to it that the old has gone. And you can put off that old self of sinful disposition and its habits. And you can put on the new self with its character and habits of holiness. Eugene Peterson said this. He said that life in Christ is a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience in the same direction. There's ups and there's downs. Paul said this to Titus in chapter 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope. What are we doing while we're waiting for our blessed hope? Our blessed hope is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify us. That's living a life of righteousness or holiness or purity. To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I'm going to finish up here in in verse 8. We have God's seed. We have been, uh, he appeared to uh, cleanse us of all sin, to take away our sins. He's given us his seed. Now he gives us a reminder that we have an enemy. We have an enemy that wants to destroy us or hinder our relationship with the Father. And this enemy is a liar. This enemy is a deceiver. And he wants you to practice sin. Because he knows that when you practice sin, it's an affront to a holy God. And you will be miserable in this life. Or maybe even worse, you might be truly happy in your sin rather than in your righteousness. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He's writing to you and I to remind us that he appeared not only to, uh, to defeat the effects of sin, but the power of sin. He appeared to destroy the works of the devil. He appeared not only to deliver us from the guilt of sin, but the power of sin. You see, the devil's name is sinner. He has been practicing sin from the very beginning. His life work is sin. Everything he does is an attack against God and God's children. You are his target. I am his target. His mission is tempting us to sin by causing us to doubt God. But Jesus says that he appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And he did that through his death and his resurrection. Satan is defeated. He has no power over us. Yes, he still roams around like a roaring lion looking to devour. And the way that he devours God's children is he wants to um, give us a joyless existence and he wants us to doubt the Lord our God. Satan is on a leash, God's leash. He can only go so far. 
First John 4, 4 says that he who is in us, God's seed, the Holy Spirit, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. He can lie and deceive, but we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I want to close with this because I fear that many of us misunderstand how to live as God's beloved children. That we are glad to be forgiven. We're, we stand in God's grace. We should be both. We should know that once we're God's children that, that any sin is going to keep us from continuing to be God's children. But we don't understand the call on our life between salvation and glorification to live a life of holiness or righteousness. We misunderstand how to live as God's beloved children. And there's three misunderstandings that I want to bring to our attention. Oftentimes, our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. When we sin, we might feel bad about it, but we don't understand that it's an affront against a holy God. We don't remember that it was our sin, our smallest of sin, that put him there. We forget that it's not simply a mistake, but it's what actually caused Jesus' death. Secondly, we misunderstand what it means to live by faith. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Praise be to God that our life is his and his life is ours and that his spirit lives in me. And the the life that I live now in this body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. But practicing righteousness... Progressive sanctification, if you will, involves effort, our effort. It involves our cooperation with the Holy Spirit. We must establish a practice or habits of righteousness that are born out of our relationship with the Father. You see, there's a difference, it's a difference between Christianity and every other religion. Every other religion says to uh, be righteous so that you can be accepted. Christianity says, child of God, that you are accepted. Now, in response to that, live a life of righteousness. We must daily put off the old man and put on the new. This involves time in the Word. If you're living a miserable existence and you find yourself practicing sin and you haven't found yourself spending time in the Word, if you haven't found yourself spending uh, time in prayer and fellowship with the Father, if you've separated yourself with believers, you don't have any Christian fellowship, um, it's going to be hard to practice righteousness because it involves time in the Word and prayer and fellowship with believers who love you. And something else I want to say about this living by faith. Saying, I'll just not do that sin anymore. I've tried that for 39 years in my marriage. I just won't do that anymore. 
and I find myself doing it again. That when it's based on sheer human resolve, human resolve has never been able to break the shackles of sin. Only God's Spirit can empower this change. So there's a cooperation between God's Spirit and my efforts. And the third misunderstanding is that we don't take sin seriously. There's respectable sins in the church. We stay away from the big sins, but we let the small sins creep in. Lying, cheating, lusting, the sins that other people may not see. Not knowing but that by feeding our sin nature creates a pattern of sin. Sin begets sin. We must starve our sin nature and feed our new nature. We must put sin to death. John Owen once again said this, without a sincere and diligent effort in every area of obedience, there will be no successful mortification of any one besetting sin. Jesus came to take away our sin and to bring us into a right relationship with the Father and to clothe us. He took all of our sin and gave us all of His righteousness. Righteousness is who you are. He appeared also to destroy the works of the devil and to give us His seed so that we can live out who we truly are and enjoy this fellowship with Him forever. I want to read to you as we close, and I want to invite the worship team up as I read this. It's a Puritan prayer from the Valley of Vision. It starts like this. O God of highest heaven, occupy the throne of my heart. Take full possession and reign supreme. Lay low every rebel lust. Let no vile passion resist thy holy war. Manifest thy mighty power and make me thine forever. Thou art art worthy to be praised with my every breath, loved with my every faculty of soul, served with my every act of life. Thou hast loved me, espoused me, received me, purchased me, washed me, favors me, clothed me, adorned me when I was worthless, when I was vile, when I was soiled and polluted. I was dead in iniquities, having no eyes to see thee, no ears to hear thee, no taste to relish thy joys, no intelligence to know thee, but thy spirit has quickened me has brought me into a new world as a new creature, has given me spiritual perception, has opened to me thy word as light, guide, solace, and joy. Thy presence is to me a treasure of an ending peace. No proclamation can part me from thy sympathy, for thou hast drawn me with cords of love, and and dost forgive me daily, hourly. Oh, help me then to walk worthy of thy love, of my hopes and my vocation. Keep me, for I I cannot keep myself. Protect me that that no evil befall me. Let me lay aside every sin admired of many. Help me to walk by thy side, lean on thy arm, hold converse with thee, that I may be salt of the earth and blessing to all. And God's people said,
can't do that. 